one word question that can often be one of the most annoying questions as a parent. Does anybody know where I'm going with, with this? Why? It's really simple, right? Do what I say. Why? Because I said so. Why? Because there was something that happened inside my body where my lungs and my vocal cords projected sound from my brain that I wanted to communicate. I spoke. Well, why? And then you realize you're kind of caught in this crazy loop needing to explain everything. It's an annoying question for sure as a parent, but as we all understand, what makes it so annoying is the meaning behind it. There's something about understanding the purpose of something, understanding the reason behind it. Answering the question why is a very important thing for us. It's a very crucial question. The last couple of weeks, we have been looking at a mini-series, basically a four-week series that we're calling Saved. It's a, a look at salvation. We have been walking through week by week looking at the nature of salvation. The first week we saw that, that salvation is ultimately, by nature, the work of God. That is, it is primarily something that God has done on our behalf. Right? We typically think that, yeah, I have to do something for God to accept me. I have to work um, merit to be approved by God. But we saw that salvation was the work of God himself on our behalf. Last week we heard from Jeremy as he shared with us that not only was it the work of God, it, salvation is the gift of God. Right? Out of his grace and his mercy and in his generosity, God simply gave salvation to a people that were willing to receive it by trusting in Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. It's the work of God. It's the gift of God. But why? Why would God do this? Now, on the surface, you would say, well, because He's merciful and gracious. That's just what God does. But why is he merciful and gracious to the extent that he would work and give salvation for us? Why? Why is God doing this? What's the purpose behind such a gracious and merciful salvation? Well, God has a very specific purpose in mind. There is indeed an end game, a purpose, a destination in mind for the God who is saving us. In Romans chapter 8, says it quite powerfully. He says that uh, his work of salvation was so that the people who received it would be conformed to the image of His Son. Do you hear that? The reason why He is saving is because He desires a people that are conformed 
to the image of his son. And those verses later on talk about how the person that he declares to be righteous in his sight is the same person that he is going to glorify. And to be glorified is to be conformed to the image of his son. Simply put, God wants people that look like his son. That's what God wants. Ephesians chapter 1 puts it another way. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, that he chose us before the foundation of the world so that, purpose, we would be holy and blameless in his sight. He would have a people that were conformed to the image of his son. He would have a glorified people that were holy and blameless before him. This is God's reason for his work of salvation. This is what God wants for you. That's what salvation is all about. And yet I know what's going on in your heart because it go, is going on in mine. That as we begin to interact with that reality, we come face to face with the present. We see what God has done decisively. We look forward to a destiny of being conformed to the image of His Son, of being glorified, about being fully holy and blameless in His sight. But we realize that we have not arrived yet, have we? That sin... A sinful nature, a, a wickedness, a, a bent, a propensity to walk from the Lord and turn away from His salvation, to reject His gift, to be ungrateful for. We have that bent. It is still real in our present day. We have not arrived yet, have we? Sin is still very much a very present reality. I know that. And I know you know that too. And if you don't know that, your wife does. Right? She's like, not me. Wife's like, who are you talking to? Sin is real. And it is present. We see this vision, this destiny, but we're living in the present. And so the question is, if we've been saved for that purpose, that's the why, the question becomes now for us, and equally as important, how are we going to get there? And that's my heart for us today. I want you to open up with me. There's going to be a bunch of scriptures today. It's not typically what we do, but today we're going to bounce around a little bit you are going to get what I call a scripture shower. Okay, you're going to get a lot of them. You're going to be doused in divine truth today. Preach? Somebody likes alliteration up in here. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to open up with me. And again, for all of you who are looking for me to parse every phrase, unpackage every word study today, it's not going to happen. 
We're looking at basically the main points of each of these texts. So please be patient with me and follow along. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 12 through 18. Fitting, given all of our time that we've spent in Exodus. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth. How are we going to get there? You ready? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What we see taking place in this passage is an explanation, for sure, of how we're going to get from where we are today to where God intends us to be, holy and blameless in His sight. We see here that that Paul is describing that the old covenant, the law of Moses, right, was was being read and seen by the Israelites who rejected Christ with a veil over their eyes. That that glory, that revelation was insufficient. And really what we see is that when one turns to the Lord, a veil is lifted. They no longer see the glory of the Lord with a veiled face. But now because they see the Lord Jesus for who He is, they stare at the glory of the Lord. And the result of beholding the glory of the Lord is this. Verse 18. They're being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Simply put, the way that we're going to get there, the way that we will be conformed to the image of Christ, is an ongoing process, a daily, monthly, weekly, yearly progression in our life where the Spirit of God works in us to transform who we are day by day, week by week, as we behold the glory of God in the gospel with the veil removed because we see Jesus for who He really is. The Spirit of God takes residence in our hearts and begins to change us from one degree of glory to another. Right, this moment, this instantaneous, this this decisive moment where we placed our faith and trust in Jesus, where we repented of our sin, it was was full and it it was immediate. It was a decisive event where we were declared righteous before God. We were saved. Someone say amen to that. Done deal. 
signed, deliver, uh, signed, sealed, delivered. Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. But now we see that faith and repentance are not simply something that we do back then at camp 30 years ago. But faith and repentance, a daily trusting and a daily turning from sin by the power of the Spirit is the way that we are being changed every single day. That we're still being brought from light to darkness, death to life, from being enslaved, uh, enslaved to being free. That there is a progression. The point is this, salvation is not just a work. It's not just a gift. The nature of salvation is that indeed is a journey that we are on every single day. Where the Spirit of God takes residence in our lives and says, I am going to conform you in the end by transforming you every single day. For whatever reason, this is God's sovereign way of continuing to save us as His people. This is the way that he ultimately gets what he deserves, his glory in salvation. Understand this. To be saved, you must change. You must change. Not just your status before God. That is what God does. He declares us righteous. Nothing can change that. Amen? But there's also... A desire in the heart of God to change your living, not just your standing before Him. This is what God wants to do. Change is of absolute necessity. Now, some of you can't stand change. You can't stand it. You're not interested in it. You like who you are. Matter of fact, you may not even like who you are, but you know what? It's manageable. I know it. I can control it. There's no surprises. I just do my routine, do what I do every single day, no one will bother me, and I'll be just fine. Thank you very much. I don't need to change. I don't want to change. But yet I know that there are some of you sitting here today that in the brokenness of your sin, you know sin is a present reality. In the brokenness of your struggle, your, your love for that sin, and yet your, your hate for it, you don't understand why, like Romans 7, where Paul's like, I want to do it, but I don't. And I continue to struggle. And these sins that we wrestle with week in and week out, we, we, get, we crave change. God, change me. Don't let me struggle with this anymore. Radically transform who I am and how I live. That's your prayer for some of you. You crave renewal. You crave restoration. You want to be made new by the power of God. And so that's the good news for you. Good news for those who crave change, who want to be different, who want freedom from the, a sin that is ruining them and ruining their families. God intends to change it. Exclamation point. God will change it. Amen? This is at the very heart and intention 
of God. God is going to transform us so that he might come form us. And he is going to save us by a day-by-day journey where he will indeed bring us to where he wants us to be. That's Jesus. He's going to do it. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not just a past reality. It is not just a future reality. Salvation is indeed a present, ongoing reality. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, present. Those who are literally dying in the process of wasting away. But for those who are being saved, it is indeed the power of God. We are being saved right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation is a journey. And so what can we expect as we walk in this journey? And also, what does God expect of us? See, it's a little different, right? We, when we come to Christ, it's the work of God. We receive Him by faith. We bring nothing to the table. But then something radical changes. Jesus, by His Spirit, begins to live inside of each and every one of us. Did you hear that? God lives in His people. And when He lives in His people, He takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. And our former inability to obey God is exchanged for a new desire and ability to walk in obedience to Him. Did you hear that? That's what salvation is. A radical change of our capacity. We can obey now. Don't believe the lie from Satan that you can't obey. Follower of Jesus, you can obey the Lord. And so Philippians chapter 2 recognizes this calling for us to cooperate with God in our salvation. Look at what he says, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to what he says. Work out, or maybe you be working out, present tense. You be, in the moment, Monday morning, you be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. That we embark on this journey with a responsibility and a calling now. That we're to walk in faith and repentance. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Right? That's the nature of this journey. It's one that we work out our salvation. There's no room for spiritual slouching. We can be so lazy spiritually. We can be so unintentional. We can pursue many things, but we often do not pursue God's will for us. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the will of God is this, your sanctification. And that's just a big word that says, God's will for you is that you over time be purified through faith and obedience and to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
For the will of God is what? Is your sanctification. He wants you to change. And you work at that daily. Reliance on the grace of God to do that, to walk in this journey. But let's not miss the second phrase of that, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work according to His good pleasure. I love that. Because on the journey, we're called to work out the salvation, the very salvation that God is in the process of working into us. Please don't miss that today. You're never called to do something that God is not actively doing with you. You're not alone on this journey. He has provided His Holy Spirit, His very presence inside of you. He's at work in your life. Some of you may not really believe that. In the moment, you may be wrestling with with continued sin or struggle or doubt. You may be falling into potholes in the journey. You may be confused at the map, like where are we headed? Where are we going? You may be discouraged and exhausted from the scorching heat along the way in trials and tribulations. But the reality is this. The truth of the Scriptures tell us that God is asking you to work out only that salvation that He is currently at work inside your heart. He's never asking you to do something that He is not actively empowering each and every moment of our lives. So we're called to walk. We're called to work out. But we're called to do so with the provision that God supplies. Amen? As we walk down this journey of salvation, We can be rest assured of this. God has provided every need that we have to reach our destination someday with Christ. He has absolutely provided all the grace that is necessary for us to grow in godliness, for us to walk in faithfulness, so that someday when Jesus returns, we will be forever conformed to the image of Jesus. Second Peter 1 says His divine power, power, don't miss that, has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You say to me, Mike, but but I need this experience. I I need to go on a week-long retreat, Mike. You say, yeah, but my husband, he needs to. And my boss, man, he's got to. It's so easy for us to point the finger at another person or another situation and say, if only they were to change, or if only my situation were to be different then maybe I would begin to grow. Maybe I would have all that was necessary to continue to become like Jesus. Maybe then I would experience the power of God. But the work of Jesus in the presence of the Spirit is all we 
need to walk on this journey of salvation. So don't think for one moment that you need something more than you already have in Christ. Christ and His Spirit are enough. Amen? But His grace is manifested in a couple of very crucial ways. I want to unpackage that for you as briefly as I can. And I feel to some degree like the gift of grace that the Lord gives us or that multifaceted grace that He gives us to help us walk down this journey is one that we kind of treat like an ungrateful kid on Christmas. You know, like after present number 17, you know, they're like, whatever. You know, thanks. You know, it's like the whole basement is shot for like four months as they're opening and assembling and putting together new toys. And for whatever reasons, the parents are like, this just isn't right. This isn't right. But every year we do it, well, this isn't right. This isn't what Christmas is about. Well, why do you keep buying them all that crap then? Because I don't want my kids to hate me. You know, anyway. So so Christmas often is like, man, you're not really understanding and, and appropriating the joy of this gift. You're not really that interested in it. You're so overwhelmed by the grace of God, quote-unquote, that you're almost ungrateful for it. And we kind of shun it, and it stays on a shelf, and we don't really use it. And matter of fact, at some point we begin to say, well, I'd really be happy if I got that toy. Well, I know I got those things, but I really wish I got that. I got the Wii, but I wanted a bike. I think we do that when it comes to the Lord's provision. By the way, gracious provision. He's provided three very powerful, yet often rejected gifts for our journey. It's very simple. It's His Spirit. Write it down. He's given me His Holy Spirit. It's His presence and His power inside me. Jesus, when he was leaving his disciples, talked a lot about this in the Gospel of John when he said, listen, I'm leaving. Not going to be here anymore. Don't sweat it. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will convict the world of sin in regard to righteousness and judgment. He will bear witness to me and he will be with you and he will be in you. The Advocate, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. That is, he understood that apart from Jesus and His Spirit, they could do nothing. We cannot walk without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in this life. So we need to stop living lives of self-reliance. I got this taken care of. And start living in dependency on the Holy Spirit, in prayer, in obedience, The Holy Spirit. God has given us His Spirit. God has also given us His Word. Right? On the journey, we often neglect our valuable resource called the Scriptures. God has spoken to us 
in written form. All that we need to know and understand has been revealed. Nothing more is needed. We have indeed a revelation from Almighty God. The very God who has saved us has given us His Word that we might interact with. That may be a weapon, a sword of the Spirit to guide us into truth. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is what? Profitable, useful. It's effective. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It corrects, it exhorts, it admonishes. The Scriptures are sufficient. And on the journey, we often leave this in the backpack, don't we? I think many of us spent more time watching the journey of one man from Rome to D.C. this week. Spent more time watching CNN, concerned about his journey, than we spent time in the Scriptures pursuing our very own. Maybe I'm pushing on buttons that I shouldn't be pushing on. But I think we should receive this with joy. And spend time in the scriptures. You know, we say often that we want people pursuing God in the word and in prayer. You say, man, here we go. He just wants me to do my devos. Check. That's not our heart at renovation. All we're trying to do is remind you of the resource that God has given to you for life. And if there's anything that changes us, that transforms us, that saves us Monday through Sunday, 9 to 5, 365, right? It's interaction with the Scriptures. The Word is powerful enough to save. That's why our missional communities are centered around the Scriptures. That's why formation groups are here. Two or three people that gather and memorize the Scripture and study the Scripture. That keep each other accountable to obedience to the Scripture. That help them deal with self-deception. Oh, this is what God's called me to do. And a brother says, God has not called you to do that. This is what the Scriptures teach. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word. And I'm beginning to seep into the last thing that is the easiest for us to leave behind. Are you ready? God has given us His people. This journey's never meant to be embarked on alone. Some of you say, well, I met with Jesus on the golf course. No, you didn't. You didn't. Jesus is present in the midst of His people. He's given us one another. The whole New Testament, responding to the gospel, is a relational response. This is how we're to relate to one another. You say, well, you're just trying to beef attendance. No. Look, everybody counts and likes more people than less people. Yay. You know? But that's not our heart behind it. The reason why engagement with the body of Christ is so crucial is because your spiritual life depends on it. So that we say we're all about the glory of God for the equipping of Christ's people that they might live faithful lives of worship. 
There is no other way that you're going to be equipped to live a faithful life of worship if you are not living in reliance on the Spirit, engaging the Scriptures in the context of biblical relationship. It's not going to happen any other way. There's no yeah buts about it. And I look at Hebrews chapter 3, and I come to the realization that really the deceitfulness of sin is at stake. I'm blown away by this passage that says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Did you hear that? An evil, unbelieving heart that leads us to fall away from the living God? So what do we do then? So that we don't fall away from the living God. Verse 13, exhort one another every day. Well, that seems like a lot. Every day, scriptures teach it. See, attendance is not about attendance. It's not about numbers. It's about the possibility of exhortation in your life. It's about interaction with the scriptures in the context of a biblical community. Look at what it says. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In isolation from one another, we are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what's at stake when we don't engage one another in biblical community. When we miss church, that's what's at stake. When we miss missional community, that's what's at stake. When we refuse to get engaged in a smaller context of people that we can be authentic and share and confess sin, what's at stake is that we are being deceived by sin and being led into an evil, unbelieving heart, causing us to fall away from the living God. So I bite my fingernails at night, not because people didn't show, but because that might happen. And when I feel my heart close up and say, they're asking me how I'm doing, and I'm saying, I'm good. And I'm closing up. Man, I'm present, but I'm closing up spiritually. And sometimes it's true. Every once in a while, I'm doing really good. Right? But if I'm closing up, I'm not being authentic. I'm not, I'm not opening up my heart to allow people to speak in. Guess what? I am just standing here, but I'm not really allowing other people to speak into my life. The deceitfulness of sin is at stake. So I think often, we like kids on Christmas, say, God, eh, thanks, appreciate it. But I, I can go without that. He's given us all that we need to be fully utilized so that we continue on our journey. And you say, okay, whatever. But there's one other factor on the journey we can't miss. We have a very real enemy. Right? We have our own sinful nature, but we also have the enemy named Satan, don't we? And what's his role? While we're walking, what's his intention? He's working against us. While God's working for us, Satan's working against us. He wants to tempt us. That is, he wants to go to us in our weakest moment and leverage our flesh 
so that we fall away into temptation. And I think he also does this that may cause us to quit. He points the finger at us and says, you stink. God's not changing you. God didn't save you. Look at what you did. And he begins to point the finger at you. And I wonder if some of you here today are feeling the weight of condemnation. Because the serpent is so crafty at pointing the finger and saying, there's no use for you to walk in faith and repentance. There's no use for you to work out your salvation. You're worthless. God doesn't love you. God has no purpose for you. He may have purpose for that guy, but not for you. You might as well just quit. You might as well sit down. You might as well follow another path because this one isn't working for you because you are a wretched sinner. Anyone feel that today? That's the work of the enemy. To cause distrust in you, in the work, in the gift of salvation. To cause you to be exhausted on the journey toward Christ. Do not allow the enemy to lie to you or to give you some bogus spiel about how God doesn't love you because you, you had a sin that you committed today. You've not arrived yet. Praise God, you're on your way. Salvation is a journey. It's a journey. And Philippians chapter 1 tells us that he who began a good work in you will what? You finish it. Carry it unto completion. To the day of Christ Jesus. 1 John chapter 3. Verse 2. And I just forgot it, so I'm going to have to look at it. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. And I love these next three words. But we know. Let's say that together. But we know. Assurance. That when He appears, we shall be like Him, conformed to the image of His Son, glorified, holy and blameless before Him. We shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. God's providing everything you need for this journey. You are being saved. The enemy is throwing temptation and accusation at you. Give him the Heisman with the Scriptures. Not falling for it. And you will make it home. Promise. Adoniram Judson said, the future is as bright as the promises of God. You know when he said that? Hanging upside down. In a, in a Burmese prison. The future is as bright as the promises of God. No matter where we are on the journey, the future is as bright 
as the promises of God. Salvation is a journey toward Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Praise